0: Matthew chapter 5 this morning. Matthew chapter 5. We'll look at one verse this morning. The verse that we'll look at is this Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. It's the beginning of the Beatitudes, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. This is the verse we'll look at this morning. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Let us pray. We hear God's word. God, thanks for this morning. Thanks for what you're doing in our midst already. I pray that as we come to your word this morning, that we would uh, submit to it and come into submission to your word. Your word, as you tell us, is uh, the most powerful thing. It divides um, the flesh and the marrow. It's the sharpest two-headed sword there is. And so I pray that it would do that in our hearts this morning. So lead us, guide us, we continue to offer ourselves uh, through this act of worship, uh, hearing uh, your word uh, this morning. Do what only you can do. That's to make us more like your son Jesus, grateful for what he has done for us uh, on the cross and his resurrection that gives us life. Uh, lead us in guys, I pray. Amen. If you were with us last week, we uh, went through an overview of the Sermon on the Mount, of the first the five book, uh, three books in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. This is uh, for Christ. He's telling us how do, we, how do we live out our kingdom citizenships? Now, when we are entered into God's kingdom, when we come to be believers, and we enter that kingdom, he calls us to live a certain way of life. He says that uh, the old is gone, is what Paul says, and the new is here. And so for us to have new life, there's a way that we are to live out this new life. I think the Christian life has gotten a bad rap because... So many people think now it's just a way of we don't do these things and we do do these things. So it's a list of do's and don'ts. And yet the Christian life is so much more than that. Yes, there are things that God calls us to not do and there's things that God calls us to do. But it's not for uh, God is not the cosmic killjoy. Uh, God is the God that knows how he designed us and created us and wired us to live life and live life to the full. And so as the creator of all things and the creator of our lives, God says, here's, here's the instruction manual to live out your life. Here's how you are to live out your Christian faith. And so that's the Sermon on the Mount. And so here we'll talk this morning, we'll get into the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are nine uh, things, nine stepping stones, if you will. They build on top of each other. There is an order to the Beatitudes. Um, They're just not haphazardly thrown into place, um, but they build on each other. We cannot do the first beatitude without coming in to God's kingdom. And then he's going to list out these next nine things. And then we'll take these nine things and we'll apply them to the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, We cannot live out the rest of the Sermon on the Mount without having a grasp and understanding and a surrender to the nine blessings, if you will, uh, here in this passage. The nine blessings start with that word blessed, blessed are, and then he says the things. And so that word blessing is, the literal word means happiness. I think the word happiness has been taken so far out of context. I don't believe that happiness is really what God is wanting us to get to. Happiness um, for them, yes, but for our culture, no. Happiness in our culture is based on circumstances. Well, if our circumstances around us, then our, our behavior changes. And so th- that's not really the, the correct way to interpret the word blessing. It's not just happiness. Yes, it's more about a contentment, an internal thing. You remember if you were with us last week, we looked at the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus didn't come concerned about our external. Because he knows if the internal changes, the external will change. And so God is not saying through Jesus here in this first Beatitudes or the next eight Beatitudes is, hey, I want to make you happy. It's not the old song, don't worry, be happy. That's not what Jesus is getting at here. Jesus is saying to us, when we come into um, being believers, Christians, then there is a blessing that comes with these. These are conditional blessings. Uh, it's the, the word would better be, serve to be translated as approved by God these are approval statements by God when we become what we'll look at this morning when we become poor in spirit there's an approval that comes with being the poor in spirit and then next week we'll look at when we mourn there's this approval that God is after so this word blessing simply means that the approval of God on our lives have we are we approved by God we know that we're approved by God when we come into his kingdom. There's a stamp of approval. Uh, the same way when, if you, um, at, for us it may be hard to see this, but um, if you weren't born in this country and you come into America, you, you have to go through citizenship class. And that's a long process to become citizens of the United States. And there's this huge test at the end um, that, that you have to take in order to become a citizen of America, And then there's this huge uh, celebration that happens, this ceremony that happens at the end of that. And that is the idea that Jesus is getting at here, that there is this, now that we've come from this world, uh, that we live in into his kingdom, there's this way that we are to live life. And then at the end, he now stamps his approval on our lives. We are changed. Um, And so these are conditional. That does not mean that this is what is required In our salvation, um, these are not requirements to become saved, these are what happens after salvation. And so often we can come to this passage, and it's happened so many times that um, people read the Sermon on the Mount and they say, well, this is the requirement to be saved. No, there is no requirement to be saved. Jesus tells us through Paul himself that it's by faith and faith alone that you become saved. But when we become saved, our lives have to look different is what Paul talks about. Um, We've talked about it from here before. There's this moment in our salvation called justification. That's where God the judge looks at us, and he justifies us because of the blood of Jesus. We had nothing to do with that. Uh, He did it all for us. He chose us from the very beginning to receive us as his children. And So in our justification, we have nothing to do with that. The moment of our afterwards, when we come into glory, it's called glorification. We have nothing to do with our glorification. It's all what God does. Um, but the beauty of it in the, the, the middle part of our salvation, if you will, is called sanctification. The ongoing work of becoming more and more like Christ. And this is the beauty of sanctification. We do get to play a role in that. We do get to participate in God in our salvation. No, not in our justification and not in our glorification, but yes, in our sanctification. That's the reason that you and I get to get up in, in the morning and get into God's word. We get to apply ourselves to the process of becoming more like Christ. Christ is not going to make us more like him just by coming to church and sitting down or watching TV. He is going to look at, are we applying ourselves to the ongoing work that only he can do. But we must apply ourselves to that. We must, what he talks about, surrender ourselves over to Christ. And so that's what we'll talk about this morning. This is the first process of our surrender in our salvation. It's interesting to me that God would look here, that Christ would start here. Of all the places that Christ could start in our ongoing activity with him, he would start with this. Uh, this, this idea about being poor. Um, You know, the beauty about this idea of being poor, it has very little to do with our external circumstances. You know, we know that because Jesus did not come here to talk about being poor in our materialism, and he also knows that in our richness of our materialism, that's not what's going to happen either. We can look at uh, King Solomon. I won't have you turn there, but if you know about King Solomon, King Solomon was the richest, wisest man to ever live the planet. He had everything at his disposal. He, he had thousands of women that he could choose from. He had anything in the kingdom was his. At any time, he could say, I want that, and it was his. I want that, and it was his. And yet we read about his story in Ecclesiastes. And in verses in chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, really the whole book of Ecclesiastes is about this rich wealthy man that externally he had it all yet there was something internal that was very poor to him because he says in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 2 and 3 it's all meaningless it's all vanity I have it all and it's vain it's nothing he says in chapter 3 or chapter 1 verse 3 he says I toil with my hands and I gain all this stuff and it's still meaningless so This morning, we're not talking about how poor you are with your materials or how rich you are with materials. That is not what's going to make the blessings happen. Because as we looked at last week, and we'll continue through this sermon on the mount, God is way more concerned about your internal blessings than he is your external blessings. Because we'll know, we'll see in a moment, what does it really look like for us to be internally poor? You know, some of the richest people on the planet Um, I have read some articles about Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs was the creator of Apple, of Macintosh. Uh, Just about, it's all over the world. He was one of the most miserable people in the world. And yet he was a billionaire. He had everything. And yet he died a miserable life. Because the one thing he did not have was salvation. So even when he died a few years ago, he went into heaven just as poor as he came onto this planet. He did not take his riches of having a, an iPhone or an Apple watch or an Apple computer and say, look, this is what I have. And God said to him, I, I don't know you at all. And so God is not looking at our external poverty. That's not what he's talking about. And so that word blessed, it's this condition that we will live in. And So where does he start? Jesus starts with this word. I'll circle it in your Bibles. He starts with the poor in spirit. See, that word poor uh, means to shrink or to cower. The word poor really means, the literal translation means to be a beggar. I think think being in Nashville, this is going to sound horrible, I guess there's homeless people everywhere, but there seems to be more homeless people in Nashville than anywhere. I don't know if they had this big, pipe dream of coming to nashville and being a music star uh, and it just didn't work out but there are poor people everywhere in nashville and there are beggars everywhere in nashville and so i think we can look at this idea of being a beggar and look at it as if it's the guy on the side of the street selling a newspaper that's not the picture that, that christ is painting here that's not the poor that god is that's not what he's talking about that's not what it means to be poor you see, a true poor man doesn't have a cell phone. A, a true poor person doesn't have clothes on the back. A true beggar in this context, what Jesus is talking to, the word picture here that Jesus is saying is, they are completely dependent on other people for their well-being, their livelihood. And so for them, a poor person lived in so much shame. There's not much, shameless, uh, there's not much shame in th- the beggars here in Nashville. I mean, they'll knock on your door. And so this word poor means to cower, to shrink, to back away from, to hang your head low in your poverty. And so for us, the picture is how poor are we in our spirit this morning? Are we beggars in our spirit this morning? That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying to us in this passage in verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit. And so are we beggars this morning? You see, the poor person in God's economy realizes that they have nothing to offer to God. I have nothing to offer to God. That's how poor I am. I need to be on my hands and my knees before a holy God begging Him to provide for me spiritually. You see, there's so many believers, maybe they're not believers, I don't know, that they aren't really poor believers. They've got their get out of hell free card and that's about all they have in their salvation but they do not come to God on a daily basis in their dependency of the Lord. And so for me studying this week, I was asking myself this question, how dependent I I am of the Lord? How needy uh, to the Lord am I? Or have I taken all that God has given to me and then I've worshiped what he's given to me rather than the one who's given it to me? Has my worship been on my health or the one who provides my health? Is my worship on the one that provides my food? Or is it the food that I'm eating? Which one am I worshiping? How poor in spirit am I? You See, here's what it looks like to be in poor in spirit. We'll look at four quick passages. I, I, you turn to Luke chapter 18, uh, verse 9 through 14. But there's some other ones. There's in Isaiah 66, verse 2. Isaiah is talking. He's crying out to God in chapter 6. He says at the very beginning of the book of Isaiah, Woe to me, I'm a man of unclean lips. I can't even look at God. And then here in chapter 66, verse 2, he talks about how all the things that are happening to him, and it brings him to this place of humility before the Lord. In Psalms 34, David is talking uh, uh, to God about where he is, and the poor in spirit looks like the brokenhearted. Verse in chapter fifty one. Chapter fifty one is where David is crying out to God after his great sin against God, and he talks to him about a contrite or a crushed spirit. So, for us to be poor means we must be humble, we must be brokenhearted, we must have this uh, contrite heart. There's lacking this lacking heart. And then in verse uh, Luke chapter eighteen, it's this story that. It's probably very, very familiar. It's the Pharisee and the tax collector. Here's what it says in verse 9. It says, And he also said this parable, Jesus is speaking to those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. That they had this form of godliness, but it was void of any kind of godliness. And so he, Jesus tells this parable, There's two men who went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee. We looked at what a Pharisee was last week, last week. We said a Pharisee was a religious man that had it all together because he had all the external things put together, yet his heart was not changed. He said, so there's a the Pharisee standing by himself, and he prayed this. This does not sound like a man that's poor in spirit. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this, tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes to all that I get. So what the Pharisee is saying in this passage is, I've done all the external things right. Look, God, I've done it all right, and I'm not even like these people. He's comparing himself to other people. And then it says this, but the tax collector. uh, That that wasn't a great job to be a tax collector in Jesus' day. They were the ones that were looked upon as shrewd people, as unkind people, as Uh, wicked people and so here's this tax collector that comes into the temple of god to pray he was standing far off and would not even lift his head to heaven his eyes to heaven but he'd be on his breast and saying god be merciful to me i'm a sinner i tell i tell you this man went down to his house justified rather than the first for everyone who exhausts himself will be humbled but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And so what it looks like for us to be poor in spirit is not like the Pharisee that had it all together, that had everything externally going on right for him, and yet there was a contempt for him for other people. It's as if God is saying to us in this passage, we must be like the, the tax collector. Is it true for us to be poor in spirit? The poor in spirit say this about themselves. Uh, it's found in verse 12. Uh, uh, verse 13, excuse me. He, when the, the tax collector goes off to the corner, he's crying out to God. He says to God, be merciful to me for what I am a sinner. You see, uh, the poor in spirit have a recognition for who they really are. Is that true for me? Is that true for you? You see, the poor in spirit are not prideful men and women. You see, what God is saying to us in this first uh, beatitude is the prideful cannot enter my kingdom. If you are a prideful person, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. You see, uh, the poor in spirit, it is the gateway that's open to us, that opens us into the kingdom of God. Because we would say to ourselves and to God, there's no way I can even enter into your kingdom. I cannot enter your kingdom unless you invite me in and you welcome me in. I am needy. I need to be in your kingdom. So we, we must be the poor in spirit. Is it true for you and is it true for me? Do I really believe I have nothing to offer to God? I've got nothing to offer to Him. You see, if I don't start there, then if I don't come to a place that I would say to my heart and that you would say to your heart, oh God, I am needy, I'm powerless, and I'm helpless. You see, if I don't believe that I'm needy, I'm powerless, and I'm helpless, then I don't need God. Then I become dependent on self, and when I become dependent on self, then I will make sure at any cost that I take care of myself. Or yet, do I shrink back, and do I become a beggar, and I cry out to God on a daily basis and say, oh, I need you today, God. God, I need you to do for me what I cannot and I will not do for myself. Am I self-reliant, or am I God-reliant? You remember what he says to the church in uh, Laodicea. Do you remember this just a few weeks ago? He's talking, he says to the church of Laodicea in verse 15 of chapter 3 of Revelation, he said, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. You would, if you would be one or the other, uh, you'd, that'd be all right. And he says, you say this about yourself, I am rich and I have, I have need nothing, not realizing that you're wretched and pitiful and poor and blind and naked. Remember that church, got self-reliant on themselves, and God said to them, yes, you have it all together externally, but the one thing you lack is eternal salvation, eternal security. That's what you do not have because you become dependent on self rather than dependent on God. And so for us this morning, what does it look like to come into this idea that I am poor in spirit? Uh, One of the great writers and theologians of our day says there's these three things. Says that we must turn our eyes off of ourselves. It's what Paul says in Philippians chapter one, verse twenty. He says, "It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me." In Galatians two twenty, he says the same thing. It's I. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I'm crucified in Christ. And so, in our poverty, are we looking away from ourselves or to God? Are we still continuing to look into the mirror to see how we can provide for ourselves? Do we believe that we can provide ourselves salvation? We cannot. The second thing he says is this, that we would do what uh, one of the old writers calls this idea of mortification and vivification. Uh, old, Old theologian, the word mortification means that we'll put the things to death in our lives that do not bring glory to God. And then the flip side of that is we'll do the things, the vivification is we'll put the things into practice that bring glory to God. And so we cannot have one without the other. We cannot mortify things if we do not bring vivification to things. It's as if the picture is this, that we would rip out the weeds in our life and we have this gaping hole. If we do not fill the gaping hole with something, then we will then come to this place of we'll just have holes all over our life. And what... Jesus says, and when there's those things that we extract from our lives, the spirits come back in, and they wreak havoc on our lives if we do not put into practice the things that make us more and more like Christ. But we cannot just do the one side of it. We cannot just put the things into practice if we not get rid of the things in our life. You see, uh, Brother Short brought my wife some flowers this week. No wonder he was married uh, for so long. He's still bringing flowers to ladies. I go over to him and say kudos to him. I learned a lot just by bringing flowers to a lady. But I was thinking about him this week, and as you know, he's got a ton of flower beds, and he's got to prepare the flower beds for flowers. When those bulbs come in, he has to what? He has to mortify the weeds. He's got to extract the weeds. He will not plant A flower in a flower bed that's full of weeds how come because he knows the weeds will kill the flower the flowers will not kill the weeds same is true in our life if I do not remove the things that hamper my relationship with God and I try to put the things in place with God the weeds will overtake the things of God and so in i are you are we that place with god that says I, there's things in my life that must be removed for me to live a life of holiness because i desire to live a life of holiness but i have to do the work of putting the things to death in my life that hamper me from living out my salvation and therefore then i must put the things into practice to live out my salvation to live out glorifying god and all that i do that's the second thing that he says and the third is simple that we would continue to ask God for it. You see, the poor in spirit know they can't do it on their own, they need a God to do it for them. You see, in and of myself, I do not have the desire to wake up in the morning and to read God's word. In and of myself, I do not have the desire to get on my hands and knees and pray for people. In and of myself, I do not have the desire to bring glory in God, I don't have that desire. I need the God of the universe to place that desire into me and then I need his help to get up in the morning. But see, the beauty is, he doesn't make me get up in the morning. I have to get up in the morning. So I can ask God for all these things and to do all these things for me, but if I'm unwilling to take practice in that, then it's not going to happen. We cannot expect God to do it for us if we're unwilling to do it with him. Not for ourselves, but with him. See, catch that. I'm not willing to do it for myself. I can't do it for myself. I need him to do it for me, but do I have the willingness that he will do it for me? Am I that poor in spirit? Do I believe I need God every moment of every day? So here's a litmus test as we close this morning. We'll get to the last part of that passage of scripture because there isn't a reward for us. There is a reward for those who are the poor in spirit. I love that about the beatitudes. God says through these nine things, if you do this, there is an award reward for you. If you live this way, there's something that comes out of living this way. There is a byproduct of living the poor in spirit, and we'll end with that this morning. But here's the test for us this morning. These seven things from Thomas Watson, an old theologian. He says this, the first thing we must do when with continue to wean ourselves. We've talked about that. We we must continue to be lost in the wonders of God. Am I in, in awe of all that God is doing? The third thing is this. This is the, the tough one for me. I won't complain about my circumstances. We all have things to complain about, but if we're saved this morning, we've got nothing. The fourth is this, another difficult one for me. This is how I know I'm poor in spirit or live a life of humility. Do I see and rejoice in the success of other people? That's a tough one for me. The fifth one is, do I spend time in prayer? The sixth one, do I live my life according to the terms that Jesus has set out for me? Or am I going to do it my way? And the seventh is this. Do I continue to give praise and thanksgiving for all of God's graces on my life? Those seven things will help us know if we're living as poor people. I love this quote, and then I'll get to the last. It says this. I think it's so uh, spot on for us this morning. John MacArthur says this in his commentary about this passage. He says, where self is exalted, Christ cannot be. Where self is king, Christ cannot be. Until the proud in spirit become poor in spirit, they cannot receive the king or his kingdom. Are we proud in spirit this morning? Are we poor in spirit? You see, because the poor in spirit, what it tells us here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, is when we really become poor in spirit, when we become needy, it says, Theirs is the kingdom of God. What that is talking about, when we become poor in spirit, the gift to us is our salvation. See, we only receive salvation when we come to the place of our true neediness. Are we needy people today? Because if we're needy people, we'll cry out to a holy God, and a holy God answers us every time in our neediness. And the neediness is then replaced with a great, great feast. We will the poor become rich. I'm not saying you become rich monetarily, but you do become rich spiritually. That is what it means for us to come into the kingdom of God. You see, being poor in spirit opens us up to our salvation. You're here this morning if you're a believer because at some point in your life, you recognize your great need for a Savior. That you came to this place of, I cannot get myself out of hell but there is a God who can. You see, my great fear for us is we've stopped living our daily lives that way. That we walked an aisle, we prayed a prayer, and we turned around and we continue to live our life as if nothing changed in us. And that's not what it means to be poor in spirit. What This idea of being poor in spirit is not just for this moment in time, but for all moments of time. And therefore, if it's true that we're poor in spirit, when we came to know Christ, we live out, being poor in spirit in our salvation, then the flip side is true. What this inheritance that God offers isn't just for what is to come, the inheritance is for us now. You see, the kingdom of God, he says, we'll look at this passage in a few weeks. He's saying in in the great prayer, he teaches us to pray that God's kingdom would come here on earth. We can experience God's kingdom here on this planet. But it's only when we live out our salvation with much fear and trembling, our neediness to God. My prayer for you as believers this morning, you have experienced God's kingdom and that you're not waiting in a waiting room for God's kingdom. Yes, there is something way greater for us that awaits us. But we can live out in dependency with the Lord and experience His goodness if we live as poor people this morning. Are we living as poor people? You see, because of the rest of the Beatitudes, the rest of the sermon, they do not matter if if we do not believe wholeheartedly that we are poor in spirit. It does not matter that that we will never come to a place of mourning. We'll never become meek. We'll never hunger and thirst for righteousness. We will never be merciful if we don't believe that we're poor in spirit. Because those things then come out of people that are dependent with the Lord. We become meek when we're dependent on the Lord. We then hunger and thirst for God when we believe that we're poor in spirit. You see, Paul tells us in uh, Galatians, the fruit of the spirit. Well, the fruit of the Spirit is being a, a, is a byproduct of being poor in spirit. Because then I'm dependent on the Lord. Are you dependent on the Lord this morning? Because if not, the, the, the rest of what we'll have to say for these next 25 weeks will not matter. Is it true for you and is it true for me? Do I wake up every morning and say to myself, I am powerless and needy, and when I take control, my life becomes totally unmanageable. I need God to manage my life. I need to submit to something way bigger than myself that knows how I am to live out my life and then I live in a surrender and obedience to Him. I will never live in surrender and obedience to God if I do not believe I'm poor in spirit. I'll continue to run my own show. And that's not what it means to live in the kingdom of God. Kingdom citizens do not run their own show. They submit to the king. And so this morning for us, the banquet table awaits, but the banquet table is for poor people, not for rich people. Let us pray. God, I pray that, that you, you would show us this morning that we are poor. Whether we believe that or not, God, that's not, uh, that's not what matters. We are poor. Your word tells us. If we do not know you this morning as our Savior, as our Lord, we are poor. We are needy people, God. I pray that we become beggars. We would beg for your mercy. We would beg for your grace. We would beg for your kindness. We'd beg that you would live in us and through us in a way that would change us. Lead us, God, as we enter this time. Of worship even this morning or that you would search our hearts God if there's anyone in here that does not know you that this morning they'd come begging God if there's other people that are here this morning that know you and have wandered away from you and have quit living out their dependence on you I pray they'd confess that to you God I pray there would be many of us this morning that would put the things to death that hamper our intimacy with you when we. Put the things in place that increase our intimacy with you. You're an amazing God. You've done amazing things. It's because of your life and your death that we're able to have and enter into the kingdom of heaven. We pray this morning that invitation that many would enter the kingdom of heaven this morning. Continue to do amazing works here at Powell's Chapel. So grateful and honored to get to be a part of what you're doing here. Go before us, keep us, bless us. Praise in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and sing, church.